Thank you, Car family. Appreciate you leading us through worship this morning and last night. <laughs> um, if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, we're going to be in several different passages of Scripture. This is a, what we call a topical sermon since it's Thanksgiving. We're going to be speaking on Thanksgiving, but before I begin my sermon on Thanksgiving, I'm going to excuse the children to go downstairs to go to Sunday school. And you can be thankful for that. All right. So different passages of Scripture um, this, this, this morning. But we're going to beginning, be beginning in Ecclesiastes. That's where we've been at for the last several weeks. And so uh, if you want to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, that's where we're going to start just to remind you of a, a passage of Scripture that we've already preached on. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, uh, Solomon declares to us, there's a time and a season for everything. And he then gives us a long, exhaustive list of each thing that there's a time and a season for found under the sun. So let's just review that. I know if you're like me, it's going to be hard to read this without having the tune from the birds pop into your mind and wanting to sing this along, right? But uh, Solomon declares in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, There is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under the sun, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing. A time to search and a time to count as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We're so thankful for this opportunity again, Lord, to be able to sing praises unto you this morning in songs and hymns and spiritual songs that you've uh, commanded for us to do, Lord. We're also grateful for this opportunity allowed now, Lord, to allow the, the working of the Spirit in our hearts, God, as we open up your, your inspired word, God-breathed word, Father, that your Spirit would work within our hearts, that uh, you would transform us, God, a little more into the image of Jesus through it this morning, God. May it not be just a time that we just sit through a sermon and, and move on with our lives, but that this might be a time when we'd be, uh, that you would help us, God, to be... Um, not distracted from the things that pulls us away from you and that we would spend this time in our, with our minds and our ears, Lord, and our eyes to, to what you would have for us in these various passages of scriptures, God. I pray that you would use me. I pray that you would allow me to, to, to rightly divide the word of truth, God, that I would not take anything out of context. And uh, Father, I just pray your spirit would illuminate me and give me wisdom in that regard that... Uh, that I may not make you turn your word into something that you did not declare. And God, I just ask for your help in that. I ask, God, that you would move amongst us, and we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. All right. So here we are, this exhaustive list of, uh, of things, of the, the times and seasons in life that uh, Solomon has listed for us. 
But there's one thing that Solomon certainly has missed here. We've got to understand, as we know, the, the, the paradigm in which Solomon is writing this book of Ecclesiastes is not considering God, just using his, his wisdom and his senses, his eyes and his ears, and seeing, seeing what's around him. And so he's imparting this wisdom to us, but he's not understanding the things of God or not bringing those things, at least at this juncture of his letter, of his book in Ecclesiastes, as, as far as what God is doing and his purposes in this world. And so I would say that this exhaustive list does cover much of the things that happen in the times and seasons of life. There's a time and season for everything. But the greater teaching of the Bible, both in the Old and New Testament, is we should have a time to be thankful, to provide, to, to give thanksgiving unto our God. And in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, and he says this, Rejoice always. So these are commands, essentially. This is what it is to look like to, to follow after Jesus, right? We, we encounter Jesus in a saving way. I pray everyone in this room has had that, uh, that chance, that opportunity to hear the gospel and turn and abandon hope and all else and believe and receive Jesus as their Savior. He is our only hope. He is the only way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way that we can have eternal life through believing and trusting in his gospel, the good news that Jesus died for you for your sin. And as you encounter Jesus in that saving way, the scriptures go on to say, now we need to walk in, in Jesus. We need to walk after Jesus. We need to put off the old man or the old woman that we were before Jesus. And we need to put on the new person, the new man or woman uh, found in, in the virtues of, of Christ. Because it's not just a mental belief that happens in a checkbox that we mark, but when you encounter Jesus in a saving way, when you hear the gospel of Jesus in a saving way, you, the Holy Spirit, the third person of our triune God, uh, regenerates us and makes us a new creation in Christ. Our lives become drastically different from that point forward. We're transformed. We still battle our old self, and that's why Paul tells us to put off the old self, but we're given a new heart, a new, I don't know whose cell phone that is. My ringtone being... <laughs> Okay. Well, I've been humbled. Okay. Where was I? So this, this new creature that we're given in Christ Jesus uh, is, is, is done through believing and receiving and embracing what Christ has done. And, but we're not done. We, we don't just go on living, right? The, the biggest critique that I often hear of people that don't understand and have not encountered Jesus in a saving way is like, oh, so you just believe that Jesus died for you. You trust in him and his accomplished work, and then you just go on living however you want. They don't understand regeneration. They don't understand that God has moved in and the desires to do a work for us. And then we have the New Testament to teach us to what it looks like to walk after Jesus. We don't have to guess on what it looks like. And this is part of the teaching that Paul is teaching here in 1 Thessalonians 5. In Jesus, what it looks like to follow after him is we are to rejoice always in our lives. We are to pray constantly. We are to give thanks in everything. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. As a pastor, I often have conversations with people 
regarding God's will for their lives. I just want to know God's will for their lives. And I just want to take them to this verse and say, this is God's will for you. It's you rejoice always, you pray constantly, and you give thanks in everything. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And all of us here know that it is a tall order. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything. But this is built on the foundation of Paul's understanding and teaching of us that we are now new creatures in Christ. And as he says, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We can pursue these things because of what Christ has done and what the Spirit of God who indwells the heart of every believer has the power to do to transform us into the image of Jesus day by day, step by step. That is God's will for us is that we would pursue Jesus in those things and, and it's to look like we are to pray constantly and to rejoice always and to give thanks and everything. And so Solomon, in this exhaustive list of things and seasons in life, he missed the one thing that is taught, over, mentioned over 40 times in the Old Testament, to give thanks to our God. It's mentioned over 45 times in the New Testament. This idea of thanksgiving, and as Paul mentions here, give thanks and everything. And so the question that I want to bring forward to us this morning is, is this a command that we must follow and do? Because, I mean, essentially that was basically what Paul has done, right? First Thessalonians 5, he says, this is God's will for you. I command you to be thankful. Or is it an expression of a heart attitude? Well, it's, it's, it's both, right? Paul's commanding us to do that. Paul's commanding us to, to, to have, be thankful in everything. But I want to speak to the, to the legalist this morning. I'm a self-prescribed legalist, right? If Paul tells me I, want to, I need to be thankful in everything, well, that's, I just need to be more thankful. God, and I'm sorry that I haven't. I'm just going to work harder at being thankful. And so all of a sudden it turns into some task I have to do and be more thankful. And, and so I need to express my thanksgiving more. And, but but, but real, in reality, it's more uh, this idea of thanksgiving as with love. is more of an expression of a hard attitude of what's welling up from us because of what God has done for us. So yes, it is a command, but it is also an expression of the heart. And we can't fake thanksgiving. We can't just do better at it. It has to be an expression of our heart. True thanksgiving. This is by Lewis Perry Schaefer. It's a uh, book uh, called The Major Bible Themes. He wrote it in 1925. And he gave us, uh, but I think there's some, some pretty good definitions that we, I'd like us to consider this morning. True thanksgiving is the voluntary expression of heartfelt gratitude for a benefit received. So it's a voluntary. It's an expression of our heartfelt gratitude of a benefit received. He goes on to say, it is, its effectiveness depends on its sincerity. The effectiveness of our thanksgiving depends on how sincere we are in expressing that thanksgiving. All of us who have children know and are horrified at those moments when someone gives something to our children and it's a gift, it's a sacrifice and we as adults know that it's a sacrifice for that person to give something to our children and, and they just take it and don't say thanks. You're like, wait, 
You need to thank them. They just gave you something. Thanks, right? But we know we've blown it. Or they, they, it doesn't matter how much we beat it into their, into their minds that they need to be polite in those regards. If they're truly not thanksgiving, don't have thanksgiving in their heart, then it's just, it's just an act. Its effectiveness depends on its sincerity. And I hope we're making the transition in our minds as God calls us to be thankful in everything. This Thanksgiving's effectiveness really depends on our sincerity and what we hold to be as important and true and what God has done for us. He goes on, Schaefer goes on, it's intensity, the intensity of our Thanksgiving depends on the value which places, which is placed upon the benefit received. So the intensity is Depends on how much we think what we're given is valuable. I tried to come up with a comparison, and this is the best I got. We're going to be eating Thanksgiving this week. And the question that popped into my mind was, who's going to be more thankful on Thursday at Christmas or Thanksgiving dinner? The, the person who hasn't had a, a good square meal for a couple of weeks that's going to have a Thanksgiving meal at the rescue mission on Thursday or us who have, haven't missed a meal all year. There's potential to have more Thanksgiving as we understand the value in which the benefit we received is and how value it truly is. Its intensity depends on the value which is placed upon the benefit received. Schaefer goes on to say, Thanksgiving is in no way a payment for the benefit received, right? Again, talking to myself here, the legalist. I'm going to show God how thankful I am. I'm going to prove to him how thankful I am. The next thing you know, I'm trying to earn that the benefit received by how good and how hard I'm working, how tenacious I am to, to show and demonstrate my thanksgiving towards him. And the next thing you know, it's on me and what I'm doing. And I'm making a payment for this thing that I could never pay for. I'm fooling myself. Thanksgiving is in no way a payment for the benefit received. It is rather a gracious acknowledgement of having received a benefit. It's a gracious acknowledgement of that. And bringing us into what the Bible teaches us about Thanksgiving. Right? The Bible is clear and true and, 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 and pure. Uh, it's God's revelation to us. And, and the Bible again and again it tells those who follow after God, who fear God, who seek God, who walk in Christ, our Thanksgiving that we have should be based on the foundation of our God and who and what He's done for us in Christ Jesus. Remember, the effectiveness of our thanksgiving depends on our sincerity. The intensity of our thanksgiving depends upon the value in which we have placed the benefit that we've received. And in Christ Jesus, He is the foundation for all of what good and, and glorious gifts God has given us. It is the foundation in which our thanksgiving should overflow. God is the foundation. 
His salvation found in Christ Jesus should be our source of thanksgiving to the point where we get to where it just overflows as we focus on what Christ has done for us. The psalmist captures this heart of of just being overflowing with with thankfulness for God in Psalm 136. I just want to read the first nine verses for you. But you can see this, this intense desire to express thanksgiving to, to God in this song. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His faithful love endures forever he alone does great wonders his faithful love endures forever he made the heavens skillfully his faithful love endures forever he spread the land on the waters his faithful love endures forever He made the great lights. His faithful love endures forever. The sun to rule by day. His faithful love endures forever. The moon and the stars to rule by night. His faithful love endures forever. We see a theme. God's faithful love endures forever. And he is overwhelming with thanksgiving for his God. The psalmist will go on in 136 to describe and recall all that God has done in the history of the children of Israel, all the times that he had supernaturally shown up and was faithfully demonstrating his love in spite of their hard-heartedness and rejection of him and rebellion against him. Time and time again, we see in the Old Testament God showing up and being faithful. And the psalmist is recounting and thinking all that God has done for God's people. And so if it's the thanksgiving that we are commanded to do, is, uh, it can only be fashioned as we truly hearken to what Christ God has done for us. And this salvation, this beautiful salvation that God has given us in spite of us. I hope you can... Stay with me this morning that God's faithful love endures forever. And God's faithful love is most demonstrated in the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. Jerry and I went to a Southern Baptist Association meeting in Boise a couple weeks ago now. And the pastors were talking. And the gentleman that was up front said, you know... the." As hard as the last couple of years have been, if you really stop and think about it, the, the hidden blessing of that is anything and everything that we were, we were hoping in in this world, anything and everything that we just took for granted that was just going to be, always be the case in our lives as normal has been removed. There's nothing in this world that is normal or secure other than God's faithful promise of salvation in Christ Jesus. God is immutable, unchanging. And no matter what changes tomorrow in our culture and in our land, this one thing remains. Christ Jesus has come to seek and to save those who are lost. And you can have salvation and be added into the family of God through receiving Jesus as Savior. He 
made, took your penalties to be upon himself some 2,000 years ago. He's demonstrated his faithful love by going to the cross, paying that penalty that you ultimately deserve so that you may have life and life more abundantly. And those of us who are in this room who have encountered Jesus in that saving way, I pray that the Spirit is welling up within you a bigger and greater desire to be thankful, to be reminded again of what God has done in Christ Jesus upon your account. And if you have to be reminded, maybe all you have to do is think about all the things that you should be judged for, even after salvation. This great gift of salvation that does not have anything to do what we can muster, any righteousness that we can muster, but all salvation is placed on placing our trust that Christ took the penalty for our sin, the sin of our past, and the sin that we will commit tomorrow. Christ Jesus paid that penalty. And no matter what we may lack here on earth in the future, this one thing remains. This one thing we have that we can always give thanks to our God for saving us even though we didn't deserve it. So the New Testament teaching on Thanksgiving. Right? We know God's progressive revelation. God's progressively revealed his, who He is and His plan of salvation through human history. Right? We don't stop at Ecclesiastes, thankfully. Right? The New Testament gives us this great message that the Messiah has come in Christ Jesus. We're getting ready to celebrate the, His birth, that He has come. That He went to the cross. He fulfilled the law that we could not as God in the flesh. And He took the penalty upon Himself. And then we are to walk. Those who are in Christ are to pursue Him and walk after Him. And the New Testament teaching on Thanksgiving is, as Paul mentioned in First Thessalonians 5, as I opened up with, it's also mentioned in Ephesians chapter 5 and elsewhere. As Christians, how are we to provide our thanksgiving? Are we to go to a temple and offer a thanksgiving sacrifice as the Old Testament lays out or, or not? And we know the New Testament says we are to give thanks without ceasing. We are to give thanks in everything. Always and for everything. Paul again writes to the Ephesians. It says this, Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. He starts off saying this is what a Christian is, has, should walk out his belief in Christ. This is what it should look like. Don't be drunk with wine. If you're going to be controlled by something foreign, don't let it be wine. Let it be the Spirit of God. But the but be filled by the Spirit. And he goes on, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. That's what we did this morning. That's why we open up the hymn book and we sing songs unto our God, to one another, because it's an expression of our thanksgiving to God and for what He's done. Singing and making music with your heart to the Lord giving thanks always and for everything. That's the hard part, right? Because I'm the first to admit that I don't always give thanks in everything. Sometimes in my trials, I lose sight of God 
and His graciousness. And my focus comes on to me and self-pity party and we all struggle with those things and so no, I fall drastically short in giving thanks and everything. Sometimes I wonder why God has allowed trials in people's lives. Instead of doing what Paul has commanded us to do to give thanks in the midst of those trials. We are to give thanks always and for everything to God the Father. Right? And I think it's speaking of what we've already covered this morning, this, this idea that no matter what happens, no matter what trial we're going through, no matter what tomorrow we face tomorrow in this world, if you're in Christ Jesus, you have much to be thankful for. And as, you've placed, as we place our focus on him and what he's done in thanksgiving, that's the hard attitude Paul's desiring. He's, he's know, he knows he's writing to people that are going to encounter trials and going to be faced and fail miserably at this. And so he's like, this is the hard attitude you must have. You must keep your focus on what God has done in Christ Jesus. That is our foundation for thanksgiving. Giving thanks always for everything. To God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is Paul saying there? We, we often say in our, when we pray, in the name of Jesus, amen, right? But what are we doing when we do that? We're invoking the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. We are his bride, We are asking in our prayers when we say in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that it would be according to his will, according to his purposes, because he has given us all that we need for life, eternal life, and for godliness in this world. And so the scriptures again and again point us back to, because the world again and again tries to tear us our attention and our thoughts away from Christ, the scriptures again and again point us to Christ. No matter what we face tomorrow or next year, if you're in Christ Jesus, you have much to be thankful for always and for everything. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ, he says. Harkening back to what Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes will ultimately conclude. The end of the matter is this. Fear God and keep his commandments, right? But now with the New Testament, we know what that is, to walk in Christ, to fear Christ, to to be respectful to him, to know that our life is a a life that can be used for his glory. That's what he's called us to. And so we have that meaning and purpose to to try to walk after and seek. And and the, the, the beginning of that is to submit to one another, right? Not pursue our own personal desires, but to submit towards one another. To prefer others over ourselves to give thanks always and for everything, to pray without ceasing, to rejoice in all things. Because ultimately, we have much to be thankful for. So I just want to conclude with a few things that I've written, taken from the Apostle Paul and different letters that he's written to the churches of what to be thankful for. And the first thing that, obviously, in the fear of Christ and knowing what Christ has done is we can be thankful for the victory that Christ has achieved for us over death, the victory over death. 
The scriptures declare that it's not the first death that we need to be afraid of because those who are in Christ Jesus who have died and gone before us in First Thessalonians, they will be raised up from the grave when Christ comes back and the great trumpet sounds and they, they too will meet us in the air. That's not the death that we need to be afraid of, but it's the second death. The death and eternal separation from God because of our sin and all those who are not found written in the Lamb's book of life will be judged and will be given this second death, eternally separated from the grace and love of Jesus and God in a place called hell. But in Christ Jesus, we have much to be thankful for because he has given us the victory over this death. Paul says, but thanks be to God in 1 Corinthians 15. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ in the passages above. He says, oh, death, he quotes the Old Testament. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? We got through Christ. God has given us victory over death and judgment of what we truly deserve. And we, no matter what happens in this world, if you're in Christ, you have much to be thankful for because your eternity will be with your God. We can be thankful for God's continuous presence. He hasn't left us alone in this world to, to just meander in our own strength and, and hope, beyond hope, and that uh, you know, we, we, we might see him someday. No, he's given us his presence and the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If you're in Christ, we have a, just this amazing uh, gift that God dwells within us. He desires to empower us to live out this call to to be thankful in everything and always. God's continuous presence, we can be thankful for that. Christ's promise in the Great Commission is that he would never leave us nor forsake us. That is much to be thankful for. I found this passage of Scripture and I thought it was a unique way of demonstrating that God's presence in the Spirit of Christ that indwells us. 2 Corinthians 2 But thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Paul has taken the time to say, I'm so thankful that God has given us the presence of Christ within us that as he goes into a town and he's declaring the gospel, it's like Christ in his triumphal triumphal procession is coming into that town because he, the spirit of God, indwells him. And through the Spirit of God gives them the power, the, the ability to, to spread the aroma of the gospel in every place. Paul's taken the time, the, the Apostle Paul, as we study him, who's beaten and thrown into prison and right, ultimately will be martyred for the cause of Christ, is thankful that he doesn't have to walk this life alone. He has the presence of God within him. The next thing that I found in Second Corinthians 9 to be thankful for is this opportunity to, to see our service of the Lord in this church and outside the walls of this church and our giving to the Lord within this church and to other things that, that are towards the kingdom of God as an expression of our thanksgiving. Because if you're a legalist like me, sometimes you, you want to give because you feel like you have to. 
that it's a burden, but I'm going to do it because I'm obligated to give. When in reality, our service and our giving should be an expression of our thanksgiving to God. And as a result, we don't get credit for our service and our thanksgiving, right? The glory goes to God. Because that's what God's called us to do, to give, bring glory to him. In service and giving, Paul, the Apostle Paul writes, for the ministry of this service, so he's talking to a church that had given, uh, sacrificed greatly for other uh, believers who were not doing well and they were poor. And, and so this church gave an abundant gift, uh, love offering of money and service and who knows exactly, but obviously money. And so Paul's writing them and saying, look, what you did, was a good thing. He says, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also an over, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks, not to them, but to God. We take an offering, we, we ask God that he would bless that offering, that it would be used for his glory. So when people receive that gift, they don't, they don't say, man, those people at Second, Second Corinth, Second Baptist Church of Corinth, right? They're, they're, really, they're really godly people. They really give. And man, they're just amazing people. No, they've given that gift. Paul gives them the gift and they say, thanks be to God. God receives the glory in our giving and our service. It's a good reminder for us. And ultimately, we can be thankful for the person of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 9 to say, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Your translation might say unspeakable gift. This is we truly dwell in what Christ has done for all who will believe. If we truly take account of the penalty that Christ stood on our account, on the cross and the penalty that we deserve. The more we dwell on that, the more it is hard to speak with words how grateful we are for what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I pray this Thanksgiving season that your foundation for your Thanksgiving as you meet with your family and your friends the foundation will be an overflowing gratitude of what Christ has done for you. I pray if you're here this morning and you have not encountered Jesus in this way that that would be a reality for you. That you too can celebrate with the saints of all that what Christ has done. What a great gift. And so with breaking from tradition this morning, I wanted to, as we prepare to go into our families and our homes this week to, to have a Thanksgiving meal with our, with our friends and family, I wanted to have a, our own supper this, this morning and have, participate in the Lord's Supper that we can be reminded and be thankful for what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. So we'll have Brother Jim and Brother Jerry come forward and pass out the elements. Brother Wayne plays. If you've encountered Jesus in a saving way and you know what that means and have partaken of the Lord's Supper,
Previously, we invite you to take the supper, take the elements of the supper along with us. Um, if this is new to you or maybe confusing to you, we just ask that you would let the plate pass. But this is an opportunity for us to participate in what Christ established on the eve of His passion. That before He went to the cross, He took the, what was the Passover meal and instead transformed it into this supper, this communion that we participate in until he, His return of His new covenant, His body that was presented for for our sacrifice on the cross, and His shed blood, the the, the new covenant, the shedding of Christ's eternal uh, blood. For us, on our account, we take in remembrance this morning through this.